Welcome back to my dad's podcast, season two, My Blackest Challenge National. Follow him on Twitter or Instagram. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye! listening to my black is transnational my name is dr kalechi bay lamberts and coming up on this episode we'll be talking about black culture especially this new renaissance in african cultural exploration and what it means for potentially pan-african and transnational people and i have this conversation with our guests for today mr mike abranti but before we get into that let's go through our usual formalities if this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational, you can find this podcast on your favorite podcast listening apps, your favorite platforms such as Spotify, Google, Anchor, or Stitcher. Please make sure to subscribe if you like what you hear. This is episode eight of season two, so there are tons of episodes in which you can listen to and go back, and I hope that you enjoy any or all of them. And you can always reach us if you have any feedback, um, rating, subscribing, and reviewing on these on these platforms. But if you want to reach us personally, you can email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with us or follow us on Instagram at blacktransnationalpodcast. You can follow me personally on Instagram at blacktransnational underscore. Okay, And then if you just want to know all about the show, all that there is to know about My Black is Transnational, you can check out our website at blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast and on this website is where you know about current episodes you can also subscribe to the podcast from there you can find out more about our guest and our and former guests from past seasons you can find out more about the origin of the show and if you ever want to be on on the show you want to be a guest on the show you have a story to tell you have um you want to gist of me because we do have our let's just segment you can always contact us through there as well it's all available on the website i'll repeat blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast check out the website if you want to get in touch with us um, or just know more about the show okay so our guest today as i mentioned is mr mike abranti um also known as mike b for those who are near and dear to him uh, he is, for all intents and purposes, just an amazing, and I'll use the word, just creative, uh, because he's involved in music, he's involved in, in, in movie cinema, he's involved in dance, he's, he's a DJ, I, I mean, there's, and he's an engineer, like an industrial engineer, uh, if I believe I'm correct, so he is a multi-talented, multi-faceted individual that I've known for a while now. And uh, we get into a really, really deep, insightful conversation that you'll hear that talks about his experience going from engineering into the the entertainment industry, how he is passionate um, and very connected to Africa and what it means for him as far as what he does as an entertainer. And he also talks about what this new emerging African expression that we start to see now in all aspects of the arts whether it's movies whether it's cinema whether it's you know um well movies and cinema i'm sorry whether it's music and cinema and what 
this these new emerging artists that are second generation African immigrants who when I, when I say that I mean their parents were first generation immigrants and what this emergence of transnational artists um, are doing what they're doing in the industry that might help solidify or create unity between um, Native African Americans and African immigrants and how it's bridging the gap and we're becoming more unified because of just the, where the where the future is headed and how we're being perceived all across the world and how they are putting blackness and its versatility out there where people can see all aspects of being black. And this is being led by by artists and musicians and actors and dancers and, and directors and producers and what this can do what potentially um, what this new age of exploration in African culture might possibly do is tremendous and the potential of it, um, it has no bounds. So Mike and I get into a really, really interesting discussion um, just about all that there is to know re regarding the entertainment industry. And we could have gone even more uh, deeper, but we have to be conscious of time. But I do hope that you all enjoy the conversation as much as I did because it was a really, really good time, a really good conversation. You can tell it was very natural, and, and um, I think we were really both engaged in the conversation. I think you can feel that as you listen. So without any further ado, I'll stop talking here, and now I'll let you all listen to my conversation with Mr. Michael Bronte. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to My Black is Transnational. And on this episode, we have a special guest. I mean, when I tell you that, I thought like I'd have to go and find and pay somebody to be able to have this guy's time. I mean, more like, ha, we thank God for life, man. But this guy is, man, I've known him since he was a freshman at University of Illinois who has blossomed into into something beyond the words that I don't even have right now. But I mean, he's, when you talk about transnationalism, this guy embodies it because he has, he is a Chicago native that lives in LA, that's from Ghana, that travels all across the world to do different things related to music, filmmaking, entrepreneuring. I mean, this and, and, and it also has a, a, a not-for-profit organization that focuses on issues related to improving the conditions in Africa. I mean, and he works with another famous artist, Ro Timmy. He's a DJ. I mean, when you talk about 24 hours in a day, my brother knows how to conquer this thing, man. It's heavy, bros. I can't even speak enough. I'll just let you say your own thing, man. Welcome to the show. I really appreciate you. Man, I'm happy that you reached out. I'm happy to be on the show, man. And I love conversations that are pushing the culture forward. So happy to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, and I, and I'm glad you're here because I think we have a lot of good things to talk about. Um, one, I will just say if you can take a couple minutes. I know I've hyped you up, and I, rightfully so. But I want <laughs> I want you to take a minute for the audience to to just hear you introduce yourself. So so let them know who you are. Man, I, well, you did a great job. First, I should say, um, definitely definitely a better job than I probably would have done for myself. But <laughs> um, yeah. Um, my name is Michael Bruncey. Um, that's what I'm affectionately known as. Um, uh, as he said, I'm uh, from the south side of Chicago by way of Ghana. I'm an Accra boy. In and out. Yes, sir. Um, did attend the uh, University of Illinois, studied industrial design with a focus on technology. Um, you know, let the creative wings spread from there. And um, 
long story short, I'm now um, a filmmaker. So I, I do everything from writing to producing. And these days, uh, the people around me are pushing my hand into directing more and more. So that's where we are with it now. As you said, I am involved uh, as a co-founder of Global United Diaspora. We're not profit uh, that tackles the issue of um, enhancing life for people in the diaspora. So everywhere from Africa to Jamaica, Haiti, um, St. Dominica, um, St. Martin, St. Lucia, and, and, and the rest. So in a nutshell, that's kind of like a good well-rounded, outside of being a, a musical kind of um, connoisseur, those are the things that, that occupy the most, the majority of my time. I appreciate that. Now we're going to cover all those things in order, and then we'll we'll probably touch on the um, the non for profit organization last because I want to close strong. And um, but first, coming from U of I, you mentioned you're an industrial engineer. Oh, that's what you that's what you you went to Illinois for, and all of a sudden you find yourself in LA, you know, working in the industry, entertainment industry with the arts and the artists. Omar, how did you find yourself in that area? Like, how did the wind take you to to that look, to that area, like, please explain. So, so funny enough, I started computer engineering at U of I. That was my course, <clears throat> but it was just not. It just didn't capture me enough. And I guess for me, what I really wanted to do was not that. I just thought it was. Mm. So I, I switched majors halfway through to industrial design. So I actually have a BFA. Um, Bachelor of Fine Arts mm-hmm. and Industrial Design, which is a lot of people don't know, is a, it's literally the design of all things. So, um, for my focus was technology. So we were doing a lot of uh, technological um, kind of uh, next level things when it comes to like doing phone design, speaker mm-hmm. design, gadgets, um, external hard drives, computers, you name it. Um, working with projects like Dyson, who who do the German engineering behind the vacuum, right. and Audi. Um, I don't think there's any product line that we didn't touch. Every, everything down to Febreze. If, if it could be designed and created to be manufactured, we had to figure out what goes into the, the uh, process from from uh, from early design and, and, and iteration to, um, to uh, mock-ups and and, and prototype them. So that that kind of was how I ended my college career. And then um, at the same time, in the college, me and a partner of mine, Duimo, we said we're going to go into screenwriting. We had so many stories that we would just nonstop talk about over and over again. We just couldn't stop talking about the stories. So we decided, all right, let's write the one that we've been most talking about. So at the end of, of my senior year, because I stayed in school a bit longer after switching majors. But at the end of my senior year, which is like my super senior year, mm-hmm. um, we wrote this the first project and um we haven't we haven't put that one out yet because we feel like that's our gold ticket, if you will. Right. Um we we wrote that and I think that really started the trajectory for me <clears throat> of taking it very serious and and going at it full throttle. That's kind of how I found my way. I mean, LA brought, I, I was brought to LA to work for Eaton Aerospace um, as a strategic marketing kind of uh, focused person. So it was kind of a technical sales slash strategic marketing, how to improve uh, their, some of their marketing strategies and 
I initially thought I was going there to do design stuff, you know, mm-hmm. to design aerospace parts and things like that. So obviously it wasn't fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And and so the world and, and the universe and, and just the, the laws of kineticism just brought me back to writing and creating. And so I left that company after two years started a production company, really a creative group. We just function as a production company because we do in-house content. Um, and then made my first short film and the rest is history. Yeah, and in history it was, man. I think you all are continuing to do more and more things. So, you know, I know when you were in Chicago, when you were in Illinois, I know you, you, you had a lot of experience being an Accra boy and bringing that Accra boy vibes into, you know, what you did as far as just, you know, on the side when you were part of, you know, the creative groups doing things in the Afrobeat scene, and and then also bridging that gap with the um, the Black American community. Um, what's the vibe like over in the West Coast? Because it's something that I think for those who aren't in the West Coast, we don't really know. We always think about places like Houston and New York City and Chicago and even D.C., where you know there's a huge um, population of diverse Black cultures. But what's it like in L.A.? Mm-hmm. Um. LA is a bit different. I would say um, there's not as many, there's not a, a dense concentration of Africans in any particular place outside of mid-city LA, which has a, a pretty large Ethiopian population. But mm. outside of that, it's very dispersed. It's very spread out. Um, but we're here. Um, we do a few different types of events to kind of, you know, uh, census, if you will, yeah. what kind of crowd and audience we have. And so there's a lot of Nigerians here. There's a handful of Ghanaians, I would say, um, in the maybe thousands. But the majority, I think, uh, from the diaspora is going to be Nigerians um, and Jamaicans. There was a bunch of Jamaicans in L.A. Um, And in the East Africans, of course, the Habershan community is large. So uh, neck and neck, Habershan community and Nigerian community are going to be the biggest minority group here. And then you have the smaller groups, the the um, Jamaicans, East Ghanaians sprinkled in here and there. But it's it's commun- it's a it's a it's a, a wide net community. It's not as close knit as uh, Chicago or New York might feel. But people come out, people people still socialize um, when when the opportunity presents itself. And then if, even on the art side, on the artist side, there is a, a web of of uh, of a, a community, if you will for the African artists here. So there's, there's also an association called African Artists Association okay. um, ran by Francis Anolem and um, another, another gentleman. Uh, but they bring together uh, the actors and the producers and, and the people in the creative space who are of African descent um, on a monthly basis with industry kind of connections and insights and guest speakers and panelists. I and mean, a lot of people don't know about it. So shout out to 3As. It's a pretty dope organization here. Oh, that's good. And shout out to them. And and I think you bring up something interesting that I want to kind of touch on a little bit before we continue to build on this conversation. I want to take a, I want to take it back a little bit because <clears throat> as far as taking a sense of knowing which population is what, like when you were coming up in Chicago growing up, like how was your how were you able to, you know, how did you identify yourself? Like you said, you're an Accra boy, but, you know, growing up in Chicago, it's tons of people from, from just the black community. Um, what was your, how did you construct your identity as to how you can, you know, be able to move and, 
and work with the with the Africans, but also with the African Americans? Like, what was that like for you? I think I was in a special position. Um, majority of the the Africans in Chicago, at least the West Africans, live on the north side, mm-hmm. and so I did not live on the north side. I was one of the few South Side Ghanaians. Yeah, and when I say few, I mean few. I mean it may be a, just a, a few hundred of us, if that. And so I didn't have that <clears throat> that community camaraderie for for the African community as strong um, out where I lived. So for me, it was a check into the north side every weekend type of thing when I when I felt like it. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to be immersed. So I guess the kind of steer with the question is that. I was really, really, really heavily immersed in the South Side Chicago Black culture. Um, so it was, it was a kind of a, I was living in two worlds, you know, at home, and and when I was when I would travel to either the suburbs or the North Side, it was nothing but Africans. Then back at the crib, it was nothing but Black people. So I kind of got a, an interesting juxtaposition of culture. Um, what I identified with, however, because I always saw myself as an outsider in, in my community, was I just identified as straight Ghanaian. I didn't identify with American. I didn't identify with Black American. I identified with, with African. Mm-hmm. Half of that was because I didn't have a choice. It was essentially branded upon me by my peers. You know what I mean? The, the kid with a different name. Um, with a slight accent, which I was, which I tried hard to get rid of, mm-hmm. um, and and so there was this ostracizing kind of uh, relationship that was like you're different, you know. So it's either you accept that or you combat it and try to conform. For me, I chose to accept it and and kind of use that as an, a champion and factor of people getting to know me or being introduced to me or being around me. It's just like, all right, well, I'm different. I'm Ghanaian. This is my culture. These are some of the things that make us different from each other. These are the things that make us alike. And so I think if you talk to people that I grew up with, they'll all tell you I, I, I did my best to impart with them a piece of my culture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and for me, that was just, it was a motivational factor to be proud of where I came from. At first, you're going to get, you you always received with, um, with not the woman's embrace because you're different. But I think after explaining and, and getting people to understand where you come from, it becomes more of a warm thing where they feel like you've educated them on something that they're not exposed to. So I guess long story short, I identified as Ghanaian um, always growing up. It wasn't until I think recently that I would even consider myself Ghanaian American. But I think the American portion of it is very important because there is a, a history, a very strong history of perseverance that black America has that I think gets overlooked a lot um, because it's overshadowed by pain that black American community has experienced. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if we look deeper, there's a history of triumphant kind of um, no no taking no for an answer uh, mentality that has been kind of the blueprint of black American culture. Um, and I think naturally uh, I was able to get some of that in my upbringing. I think you speak to something that I can definitely relate to um, very well as far as one this whole idea of living in two worlds, you know, and that's essentially why, you know, I started this whole podcast is to, to kind of enlighten and just bring to the forefront this idea that a lot of us in the black community, which tends to be overlooked, except for those who are in it, we tend to not know about those who we, who, who are living in these two worlds. We 
one world is what our, you know, based on the expectations that our parents and family members from this, you know, very, you know, African side of our lives have. And then the other expectations from the, the community that we're creating with our friends and families within our environment who may be from that strong black, you know, African-American culture. And we are able to acculturate to both. We are able to speak intelligently uh, both ways, you know, and but what it does to us at a young age um, is we, we, it puts us in a position where we're, we're trying to figure out who we are and we're being, you know, labels are put on us and we don't know whether to accept it or reject it. And then at some point, you know, most of the time is when we get to college, but we then tend to see the benefits and we tend to apply it, um, hopefully for the betterment of educating others um, about the, the pluses of being able to, to embrace, you know, both worlds and in, hopefully even including those who aren't part of it to, to learn more and try to be part of that world, you know, and understand that there's fruits to it. So, I mean, I think that's very powerful, man. Um, so what, what, are your, what are your thoughts as far as what the, the African-American and the Black immigrant community, what do you think the relationship is um, between those two, in your opinion? When I think of, of the last five or six years, relations have improved probably by 50%. I agree. <laughs> I agree 100%. <laughs> like, I was going to yeah. bring that up. The, the interesting thing that has happened has been a shift. There's been more of a, a pan-African kind of a quest for pan-Africanism that hasn't been this strong since probably the, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I think it's, it's come of knowledge has been maybe the, the, the most powerful driving factor there. People are becoming more aware of their history. They're becoming more um, knowledgeable about um, some of the leaders that come out of Africa, some of the movements that have come out of Africa. And then <clears throat> I think there's a patriotism that is missing for black Americans in America, because America has, has always shunned Black America. Mm-hmm. It's always treated Black America like the, the stepchild. Mm-hmm. And so as Africa reaches out, it's, it extends its arms to say, hey, you know, we, we still love you. We still want you to come back home. There's a, a bit of love that the Black American community is going to fill. And, and we've had our, our differences, I would say, as far as... Um, stereotypical kind of misunderstandings between Black America and, and diaspora community. But I, I believe now, those after years of conversations, those stigmas are beginning to break down. It doesn't also, or it also helps that the music, Afrobeast, is also breaking into the Black community yeah. very, very powerfully. Yeah. Um, and and, and it's, it's creating a sense of, of, of belonging for a lot of people who felt that they didn't have a connect uh, or a direct connection or a tie to Africa. Yeah. So, you know, I would say the, the relationship there is, is mending slowly but surely. And I mean, I've never seen it this strong, to be honest. We hear less chat about our differences and more chat about what makes us similar. That's real. And, you know, it's funny you bring up the same thing because I had a conversation with T.T. Lowkey when she was on an episode in the first season of this podcast and it was something similar. We were talking about Afrobeats make the world go round. And one of the things that we talked about was, I think this probably was around like your sophomore, junior year. But you know, when the Azonto movement came in, yo, mm-hmm. the Azonto movement was heavy. I don't think people give that movement enough credit. That movement credit, mm-hmm. brought a lot, not just 
you know, black people, but a lot of people across the world to really put the spotlight on Africa, West Africa. Mm-hmm. And then just the music and the dance and everything with social media coming up and everything, Instagram and Twitter, like that whole thing blew up. And it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, look at what was going on in Europe, Amsterdam, China. People yeah. were going on around the world. And we had we had social media to, to, to kind of serve as an evidence or a, a, an archive of yeah. such where you really could, could see the, the global impact that was happening. I think you, you make a great point. That, that movement doesn't get enough credit for being, I guess, a spark it does for not. African dance and... People came out the woodworks. Like you had people in there who were you didn't even know were African who were just coming out with you know with pride all out of the woodworks who started to really claim their identity and really want to get into it and really you know showcase who they are and where they're from. I mean, and even in your situation, being in LA and you being part of you know the triple A or three A's as you said, I'm sorry, and, and mm-hmm. just and just thinking about you know now when I talk with my wife or you know we we're out. The arts, like the the cinema and the music, the fine arts, has really done a fantastic job of bringing to light a lot of our dual citizens, a lot of those first generation African but second generation immigrants, and you start to see that generational gap. Like our parents were the ones who really had that separatist attitude towards you know the black culture because of the the will to want to thrive upon, you know, uh, coming to America and wanting to achieve and not, you know, wanting to get into any mix up with anyone. But now you see their kids, which is, you know, us, the offsprings, we're blended into this culture and we're, we're making something out of it. That patriotism, that perseverance, we, we tend to, you know, relate to that. So I'm starting to see more people who are Nigerian American or Ghanaian American or Jamaican American who are coming out and doing lots of amazing things in music in movies, in dance, like it's it's just exploding, bro. It is. It's it's a new it's a new age renaissance of mm-hmm. cultural exploration, and um, I love it. <laughs> I yeah. can't get enough of it. Yeah. I mean, personally, I've been pushing this agenda since I can remember. I mean, yeah. I started DJing when I was fourteen. Like I had my first big gig when I was fifteen in a club that was twenty one and up, and it was not stop nothing but African music. Really play hip hop music until later, mm-hmm. um, but this is before the whole wave. This is before at this point we hadn't categorized things as Afro beats. There was other subgenres of music that had the, the labels. I and mean, coming out of Ghana, we had high life and hip life music. At that point, hip life music was huge, mm-hmm. which to me is is the the, the mother of Afro beats. Just looking at kind of the, the way that the beats are synchronized and the way that. Um, the influence coming from like hip hop, the influence coming from R and B, soul, and you also have the traditional African elements of percussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a whole other conversation because, again, uh, unfortunately, Ghanaians are very humble, so you don't hear a lot of braggadocious uh, kind of boasting. But it's to me, you know, the direct kind of mother of Afrobeats is hip life music, which was which was the newest kind of like fusion of sound um, that was coming out of Ghana at the time with, with artists like Sako there blowing up. That was mm-hmm. where the Azonto era started booming. All these things were like the, the president of what we now see as Afrobeats and, and even the dance. It just all evolved out of that kind of like booming surge of, of just cultural kind of evolution. Yeah, man. Um, but I think what I was what I was getting at is that this this is this is a time a very interesting time. Um, next the next the next chapter for this time is 
is what we're doing in African cinema, which is more so what I'm very, very much so concerned and and uh, and thinking about and, and actively working on different projects that can now put spotlight on, on African culture in a different way. Um, outside of the Nollywood, outside of some of the other um, niche things that we do uh, on the entertainment side. I mean, I think I, think I was going to ask you about that because what is that going to look like? Because I think when we think about African cinema, we think about Nollywood, Dollywood, and all these other niche types of, um, of you know, um, products that are out there, you know, but what, like, what type of stories do you think we're in position as young Africans in America? Um, what stories can we tell to be able to continue to strengthen? I mean, we've seen Black Panther and that's more from Mm -hmm. a fantasy superhero type of perspective, but can we start telling real stories about real experiences you know, for people who live in multiple worlds or for people who are trying to get connected to work, like what type of stories do you think we can tell now, bro? I mean, the sky is the limit at this point. The interest in Africa, in the culture, and in the history is now beginning to surge. And, and with that comes the opportunity to tell real historical accounts. For me, I'm a history buff. Mm-hmm. So that's where I start. That's where, that's kind of like, where I begin, if I'm forming something out of clay, what is the historical relevance that um, is the basis for the story? And why is, how is the story transformed and go to the place that it goes based on where it comes from? So the whole notion of Sankofa and going back and returning is kind of how I think um, when, when we talk about creating an, an, an inception. But now we have the opportunity to tell some of the stories about the Malian Empire, some of the stories about the old Igbo empire, mm-hmm. some of the stories about these these historical giants when it comes to military force, when it comes to technological advancements, when it comes to agricultural uh, resources. And this, this the, the empires that were coming out of 14th, 15th century Africa before some of the greatest conquestors were even mentioned in history books, like the Mansa Musas, mm-hmm. who, who were developing... Uh, extremely advanced piping systems and the the Ashanti kingdom where they really understood kingdomness and chieftaincy and, 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 art and war and, and military strategy and mm-hmm. how to build communities and, and sub-cities and mega-cities and things like that. These are things that historically are pretty much unmentioned, especially in the realm of entertainment where most information is easily uh, uh, put out. If you if you will, yeah. I mean, people people learn things from watching TV and from watching nowadays streaming sites and things, and so now we have the opportunity to start to tell some of our historical grandeur from um, a perspective that is of a, of a highly um, cinematic and 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 well done approach. Um, on the on the flip side, we also have the opportunity to start telling our modern day um, stories, things that we interact with as Africans every day, even from a uh, duality uh, or of a Nigerian-American, Ghanaian-American, insert that thing, American perspective, where we have a an understanding of two worlds. And, mm-hmm. and so there's opportunity there to also start to tell the story from our, our point of view of how we grew up, how we felt being ostracized, how we may have sometimes wanted to um, denounce where we come from or not feel as prideful from where we come from and how that that evolved into eventually finding back 
the the courage to say, nah, I'm, this is where I'm from and this is who I am. So I'm personally very excited um, to to move into this this new era of content and of uh, of cinema and film where where we're finally being being able to project the voice, a voice that has been silenced for hundreds of years, you know, and in entertainment for decades and decades and decades. Man, I think you're speaking to my heart, bro, because as you said, me being a history fanatic, um, all those things mean a lot to me, being able to put that out there in a way that's taken seriously, you know? Um, in the past, those types of things have not been taken seriously. It's just been kind of, uh, you know, costumized and it's just old people wearing, you know, these clothes and it's, it's more so looking at those aesthetics and not really listening or comprehending the stories beneath it, understanding you know, the Aboriginal people and what has been done as far as community organizing, establishing economy and, and, and agriculture and, you know, irrigation systems and all those things before these advanced technologies have even come to, you know, come to play. Um, but being able to tell that story um, in, 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 in a way where people can actually consume it and appreciate it is something that I'm excited for as well. Um, but without getting too redundant, I want, you know, now I want us to shift and talk a little bit about how you go ahead and continue to preserve your connection with Ghana, right? You said, you know, most of your ties are still with Ghana. How often do you, you know, go to Ghana? What do you, like, why is, why are you so still so connected to Ghana still? Um, man, it's, I think, uh, a complex yet simple answer there. Yeah. It's, it's that I think, uh, Ghana has always been for me the source of, my creative energy. And I think um, culturally, I would be lost if I didn't do everything in my power to stay connected to the source of this energy. I mean, so I'm, I'm in Ghana at least once a year, I'm usually around the same time, holiday season. Mm -hmm. um, these days I go for, I used to start off going for a week or two. These days I'm there for at least 50 days. Um, and and it's, I mean, it's important for me because I have a I have a, a thing where the the culture movers, the movers and shakers who are actively affecting change and who are who are the ones who are making things, if it's gonna be left this year, they're the people turning the car left. I have to be in touch with them. You know, I have to have my feet on the ground or my ears to the streets. And if it's the south side of Chicago or if it's the west side of, of Accra, I have to have a ear to the streets. I have to have my thing on the post of what's going on. I don't know why, but it's, this is kind of how I get my, my re energy This is how I re-energize. This is how I recharge. And so, I don't know. I've, I've always made it a point to be connected. And I think it's important to be connected because whatever I'm doing here and abroad, um, if, if it is something I can do to help push a mission and or an agenda forward, I need to know what that agenda is. One, I can know how I can be of assistance. Um, because in the day, I, I'm what you call a super pan-Africanist. I, I understand the power and what will happen if Black Americans move back to Ghana or mm -hmm. to Nigeria or to Africa in general, Libya, wherever. Black Americans move back home. I understand the trajectory of progress that will immediately occur, and so I'm, I, I want to position myself to be able to be a soldier in that initiative and be able to play my card when the time comes that I'm called upon. 
bro. Are you you know I wasn't gonna even go this direction, but you just started this. Now I have to bring it up because that's something as far as that concept of Pan Africanism, and what would be the potential if Black Americans moved back to Africa, or became transnationals or just took advantage of both worlds. Bro, what I've been trying to tell people for years, and I will continue to say this until it ends, is that we don't understand the force. I think the world, some parts of the world are waiting and some parts of the world are scared because you, we don't, I mean, you have a whole continent of people who are waiting for black Americans to come home and use what they you know what they have or the talents that they don't even know they have that people have been mm-hmm. you know abusing and exploiting for years and bring it mm-hmm. home bruh man it's it's powerful man and that's something that you know when we talk about how to defeat these institutionalized racism and institutionalized forces that discriminate against black people we have to become a system we have to become united and I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I, like you said, I'm one of those people that I'm trying to have my, you know, my ears to the ground. I'm trying to raise awareness about this because I think people stay asleep. It's a, it's a sleeping giant. It's a, it's a, it's a manufactured sleeping giant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not until recently that even um, American media has, has not had a, a, on, a full on, Wage this full-on war when it comes to perception against Africa. It's not until recently that that has even begun to lighten up a bit. And only because we have the direct-to-consumer ability to see what we want to see mm-hmm. and not what we're fed. And so, no, gone are the days of the feed the children with the flies on the faces exactly. of the kids. And, and now are the days of the burner boys and th- there's a different perspective. The, the year of return in Ghana is a new outlook on Africa and there's a new understanding of what it might mean to go home. That there's this is the greatest influx of black millennials traveling to Africa that has ever happened in the history of history. Um, we've never had this much influx of black Americans wanting to go to West Africa ever. Even Europeans, the black Europeans who are, who are more connected I would say to the continent, but the influx of them also going down in waves, and now the Jamaicans are going down in waves. And the way that Africa is opening up its travel restrictions um, internationally, and more so nationally, for African citizens to travel across the borders in, in, in this great continent. I mean, we're on the verge of, of something that's going to be amazing. And I mean, it's just exciting times. If, if, if you take these, I would say, super trained black Americans, especially with an entrepreneurship uh, back home. Because you got to think about it. Once removed, now gone through hundreds of years of free labor, now gone through hundreds of years of discrimination, being able to persevere through this, this 400, 500 plus years of, of, I would say, pressure create some of the most brilliant, um, um, resilient individuals that you'll probably ever find. And, and, and don't let them be business-minded. Mm. Um, having those, I would say, uh, now uh, uh, transformed individuals come back to the continent, you have now created these superpowers. You've mm. now created these super bosses who understand how to move. And now with the restrictions lifted from discrimination and racial oppression, the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, there's nothing that that's that's the sleeping African giant that I'm talking about. Like once, and I think it's only a matter of time, bro. I really do. I think there's at some point. I pray to live to see it, but I know that is going to happen um, very soon. And like you said, you got to be ready when that time comes. And um, because initially, what I was gonna bring up was that whole idea you mentioned that you were gonna be lost. But this this kind of stood out to me more, and I really wanted to shift to that direction because now I really want to know about your organization that you founded and what what was the purpose what inspired you start you co-finding that um and in building on that now mm, so i think it, i think it all happened at, at the time it was supposed to happen um a good friend of mine nia muhammad from the university of Illinois, reached out um and, and and explained that you know we're all doing these different things and we're all we're all very in tune and 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 this is kind of her vision or philanthropy and at the time I was I was trying to get more involved in some philanthropical efforts but I didn't have uh, I would say maybe a group of like like-minded people that I necessarily wanted to do things with and so I mean the timing was perfect around I would say uh, I think it was around end of 2015 or beginning of 2016 mm-hmm. the time the timing was just perfect for um, this thing to happen and she brought the idea to me and um you know, I interfaced with people like Bello Hamid and a few other people who I know might be interested in uh, and, and pursuing these efforts. And she brought to the table people from, we have members in, in uh, Jamaica, we have members in Trinidad and Tobago, we have members uh, all over the world. Um, and everyone was on the same page. And so what, what started as a couple of kind of boardroom conversations grew into us founding the organization, coming up with mantras and names and branding and everything and hitting the ground running and immediately going and doing what we said we wanted to do um, with with little fundraising and little kind of financial backing but with the uh, with the fervent burning desire to execute and to elevate certain people's lives that we knew we had the ability to affect and so I mean <clears throat> it was one of those things that's kind of fake I mean we have engineers we have architects we have people in business and administration and people in, in, in policy and government. We have ambassadors to different countries. All in this one group, um, and we do what we can and what we're, what we're most skilled in individually to add to the greater cause of improving the lives of people that are living in the diaspora and in Africa um, based on what we know needs to improve and what we know should be the case and not just looking at a situation that is helpable as if it's helpless. So how can people be more involved and kind of and, and help contribute to that? Because I think that's very important, and I think um, the, the potential to to make a difference um, is is critical uh, and can be you know can be incredible if we can you know be able to bring more people to the forefront to be able to contribute. Because you can already see that there's an interdisciplinary effort that's already. Um, you know, festering there. So, you know, what can people do to be able to, to help out and, and be part of this? Um, man, people can visit our website, globalgood.org. Um, we're, on, we're on social media, um, GUD, uh, on Instagram, um, on Slope United Diaspora. Really, it's reaching out. It's really keeping up with us, seeing what we got going on. It's always open invitation. We're always... We're always looking for people to volunteer or to get involved. Um, when we go on different trips from Kenya, I mean, I went, to, I flew to Kenya solo, you know, to set up 
set up shop with an organization that mm-hmm. we then took a trip of maybe 10 to 12 people to go and, and follow up and do the work. I mean, it's really, it's really having a, the, the, the urge or the want to do this type of work. And if you do have the inclination, it's reaching out. I mean, all of us are, are very receptive to any alerts that come our way. Um, it's actually like we're a little militant when it comes to, um, being receptive to outreach. So it's really just reaching out on, on any of those platforms and, and joining. It's, it's not, it's not really that big of a deal. You know, if you have, if you have uh, the want to do, to, to, to be a part of change, reach out and find out what's going on, what, what projects you might have coming up. And, and it could be that it's something going on in your area um, that would make it very easy for you to be involved. So the global you diaspora on Instagram and uh, globalgood.org is the website. So. Fantastic. And, and, and now before we, before we start wrapping up, I also want to add to the fact that I know you all did um, had a conference in Ghana as well. And I was able to, you know, vicariously see um, through keeping up with you all that it had a, a great you know turnout and there were tons of people who were able to share and present. Um, so I, I hope you all continue to build on that too, because that's something that I, I would definitely love to um, continue to contribute as well in that regard. Um, yeah. Yeah. That conference was one of a kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, the purpose of that conference was to bring together other not-for-profit organizations um, to kind of help possibly begin to bridge some of the gaps and share resources with each other. Because a lot of times what happens is organizations are doing similar work, but we're doing them separately instead mm-hmm. of coming together to have a greater impact. And so overall, the overall reason that we put that conference together was to start to bridge some of those gaps and say, how can we work together to do more versus us having these little pockets and little explosions of impact. We can have a, 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 a nuclear impact, if you will, versus just a small atomic impact. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that the work has to continue and I mean, we're dedicated to it. So it's, it's a good time. So finally, man, um, what's, what's next for you? What's coming up for you? I mean, you, like you said, you DJ, you got the, the screenwriting. Um, I know you were on tour with Rotimini um, not too long ago. Um, so, like, what's what's next for you as you continue to grow and evolve? Um, what's next for me, man? The sky's the limit. I, I've, I've always had an outlook that there's nothing that I can't touch and, and affect. And so, uh, immediately, what's on my list right now? We're headed to Ghana um, next month. I'll be shooting a short film there that will begin kind of what we discussed earlier, which is showing some more of our perspective from a very realistic uh, standpoint. Um, it's a time to start telling some of our stories in a relatable manner that people, no matter where they view it in the world, can understand or at least can get a taste of culturally what makes us different and what makes us alike. And so I'm working on a short film there, I'm adapting uh, a book of shorts that a young man wrote called Made in Ghana into a series of shorts. And so we'll start with the first one while I'm there. Um, it's called Hustle. It's pretty dope. And then um, on the music side, I'll be, I'll definitely be with both Timmy and Ghana at one point. He's doing Afronation, might be doing Afrochella festivals. Um, but I'm also working with a couple of different Ghanaian artists um, on the A&R side mm-hmm. just to Push the music forward. Um, because I'm working with some dope producers here in the States. Um, actually from London, SOS, Sons of Sonics, 
look them up. Amazing, amazing, amazing people. They just uh, actually did uh, Jennifer Lopez's latest sing- single, oh. um, and a couple other people. But putting some heads together on that side, I'm gonna make some magic happen while I'm in Ghana with a few different Ghanaian artists like King Promise and and uh, RJD and a couple other cats from the Name Gang, Darko Vibes that are just doing amazing stuff. So heard it here first. But um, that's kind of what's on the agenda immediately is Ghana and then I'm also working on a feature in film that'll be shot in Chicago so a lot of talks happening right now we're still putting things together but that's all I can say on that okay. but these are things that are kind of immediately coming up man dog like I said bro you know how to take advantage of your time bro and um, well, I'm so proud of you dog it's so it's so good to just see you out here doing what you love to do and being able to share your journey with us you know from industrial engineering to knowing like <laughs> That's not what that's not what moved your spirit and just kind of letting your letting your spirit and your passion take you to where you are. I think it's very inspiring for others uh, to see and to know that it's not it's not what you just automatically construct for yourself. That's going to be who you are unless you choose that to be your life. You know what I mean? So for you mm-hmm. to be able to, to, to share your journey with us and to, for me to be able to see um see you be able to shine bro and in, in whatever way behind the scenes in front of the stage whatever you however you do it bro you know keep doing your thing man however i can support you please let me know um you know i'm always here to do that um and i appreciate your time for even taking the time to join me and talk about this on this show i know our listeners will really really just enjoy and i think they'll be able to like really learn a lot you know, just from this conversation, I know there could have been so much more we could talk about, and I know that I wanna, I wanna just, you know, gently just cut things short and and be able to save more for the future. So, man, appreciate yeah, you joining the show. Yeah, most certainly, man. I, I appreciate you welcoming me to the show. And we've always been a big brother figure, man, since way back. People don't know, but this guy Kelly G, man, this is a special human being. So, I'm I'm honored to even be able to come and have a discussion with you on your platform and and be able to reach the people that I know are also special individuals because people that follow you and listen to you are smart, very, very smart, wise people. So this is dope. This is a dope opportunity. I mean, we have more to talk about. I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll, we'll get back at it again. We absolutely will. And then if you are on social media, how can people follow you, man? Um, I'm on social media, all things Mike Abrantia. That's M-I-K-E, Mike Abrantia, A B R A. N T I E on everything, everywhere you go, you find me that. That's what it is. My brother, thank you so much, man. Peace and blessings. <laughs> of course. Peace and love, man. Peace and love. I appreciate it again. So that's going to do it for this episode of My Black is Transnational. I'd like to thank our guest, Mr. Michael Bronte, for joining us on the show and sharing such great insight and great information with us. I hope that you all enjoy the conversation Mike and I had on this episode. And if you want to listen to more episodes that we've had in the past, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast listening apps. It's available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast listening apps. Please make sure to also follow me on Instagram at blacktransnational underscore. Or if you just want to know more about our show, check out our website at black transnational.wixsite.com slash podcast so until then i'll be signing off for now my name is dr kalechi bay lamberts my black is transnational and i hope by the end of this yours will be too peace